recent years, I really have established a new relationship essentially with my inner voice. And part of that definitely has a spiritual element. And there are just certain things in my life personally that I have experienced that I can't give credit to anywhere other than some power that is bigger than me. Welcome to the Let's Start Health podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Haynes. We live in a noisy world, and this space is intended to bring you clarity, enrich your bank of wellness knowledge, and inspire you to kickstart your journey to healing body, mind, and soul. I'll be interviewing industry professionals and bringing you raw, real, and personal stories of healing through gut health, intuitive eating, and the power of the abundance mindset. Thank you so much for tuning in and getting curious. Your journey to healing starts now. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Let's Start Health. I'm your host, Chelsea Haynes. I'm a gut health coach, and I help you learn how to heal your gut so you can really start trusting your inner voice and your intuition again. This way, you can truly live your most abundant life that was promised to you when you were born on this earth. Y'all, I am so excited to share with you today's episode. This episode is a little bit unique in that it was actually recorded almost a year and a half ago, and I was the interviewee. My friend Donna launched a podcast, and she asked me to be interviewed for one of her episodes regarding cultivating your inner voice. And this is just so appropriate to everything that I am so passionate about and everything that I love to talk to you about. How do you trust your gut? How do you start reframing your inner voice from one that could be self-deprecating and a little bit negative to one that is empowered and one that you can truly trust. This is my personal story and how I started to do that. And I talk about everything from abandonment when I was a child, how that came back up for me when I experienced divorce in 2015, when my intuition first started speaking to me, what my inner voice first started looking like, and how that led me down a path of truly living my most abundant and full and amazing life. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. I know that is the most valuable asset that we have, and I so appreciate you having a listen today. So thank you again, and please enjoy the show. get started, could you tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up? Absolutely. So I grew up in a small beach town called Narragansett, Rhode Island, and it's a beautiful place to grow up, but it's probably one of the smallest towns in the smallest states in the United States. So when I was 18, I had the opportunity to attend College of Charleston, South Carolina. And after I graduated four years later, I decided I didn't want to leave. It's such a beautiful place. I had jobs and friends, and I had created a life there, so I ended up living in Charleston for 11 years, from 2004 to 2015, and in 2015 is kind of when my life took a huge U-turn, maybe not U-turn, just a big left-hand turn, maybe, (laughs) and I've been location-independent ever since. (laughs) 
Cool. I wanted to know what, what would you say has been your experience with having an inner voice um, growing up? Like, what did, is that something that you've always had some sort of like idea of, or is that something that kind of became more prominent in more recent years? Mm. It's a really good question. And and reflecting back, I think, you know, the, the inner voice or intuition is something that started coming to me more so in college. And it started showing up in the form of what I like to call synchronicity. And over the years and between my teachers and my coaches and friends of mine, I've realized that intuition or the inner voice really is like a muscle And the more you work it, the more you pay attention to it, and the more love you give it, the stronger it becomes. So I think when I started learning about the concept of synchronicity, I started then reflecting back on my life, maybe in high school or even prior to that, younger years. And there were many times where I could look back on and think, oh, yeah, that's what that was. (laughs) But it wasn't necessarily something that I grew up with. It wasn't something that was really talked about and, and, you know, being led by our inner voice, not that it was shunned, but I think maybe my mom never really had words for it. And in recent years, I've had conversations with her and even she has come to realize that she too is very intuitive. And I think traditionally as women, we really do have a very strong inner voice or gut instinct or intuition, however you want to put it. Some people might have a little bit more of a spiritual relationship with it. Other people might see it as more of synchronicities in the universe and other people might just throw it up for random happenstance. (laughs) Yeah, that's part of why I'm so interested in this topic because I I grew up in a very spiritual town. Um, People were really into meditation and yoga and all that. And while I still love yoga, I've sort of gone more the route as an adult of rejecting anything that I see as sort of potentially magical thinking. But Mm. in more recent Uh, in recent months, I've become really interested in the idea of inner voice because the definition seems to vary so much and it means different things to different people. Like um, some people think it is sort of really just the accumulation of different experiences you've had, that it's not something magical, that it's actually, Mm. it's like really what you truly want and other people define it differently. And so I was curious, how do you define it? Does it have a spiritual element? And if so, what does spiritual even mean to you? You know, absolutely. That's also a really beautiful question. I think one that I'm still exploring now too. And it's interesting how reflecting back, and this is, this is the first time really where I've sat down and sort of had this conversation and looked at it from a definitive perspective. I grew up in an Irish Catholic community. So the thought of anything being sort of taboo or magical or really anything other than what the church wanted you to believe was a bit rejected. So for, I think, a long time for me, the connection to the divine was a a rocky road. I lost friends very young. I experienced suicide of friends at a very, very young age. And I experienced also abandonment from my father at a very, very young age. So I think growing up, my experiences caused me to push away a bit from my traditional relationship as far as a religion goes with the divine. However, in recent years, I really have established a new relationship essentially with my inner voice. And part of that definitely has a spiritual element. And there are just certain things in my life personally that I have experienced that 
I can't give credit to anywhere other than some power that is bigger than me. And at times when I might be in the trenches of emotional despair and I have to show up for the people in my life or my students or my clients, the only thing that gets me through is really asking that bigger power than me to work through me. And there are times where I've stepped in front of 40 students in my yoga class in the midst of going through a divorce where I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. And within that 60 minutes, truly magic happened. (laughs) And most of the time I end up sort of blacking out. I don't even really know what I say because there's an element of surrender there. And I think for me personally, that connection to something that is bigger than me, I don't have words for it because I have found that words are lacking for it. And we become divided as human beings when we start to use different words for the same thing in my perspective. And of course, many people will have very different definitions and different words for that. And that's okay. (laughs) You know, it all comes for me from a place of true love. But sometimes when my inner voice speaks to me, I really feel like it is the divine speaking to me through me from somewhere else, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really, I mean, there's a lot you just said there. That's really interesting. Um, I, you said that there are some examples in your life of times that like you can't attribute it to anything other than some larger power. Um, Are the Mm -hmm. yoga classes, is that your main example? Are there any other times that you would like to share that you feel were, were for you evidence that there was something larger happening. Absolutely. So I've chilled all over my body thinking about it. So I guess one of the main reasons why I reached out to you as far as this specific topic is because in 2015, as I mentioned, was a huge pivoting point in my life. And what happened was after six years, my partner and I, we had been married for just over five at that point, five years we decided to go our separate ways. And if anybody has experienced divorce, either themselves or someone that they know or love, or maybe their parents or another family member, it's traumatic. However cordial the separation may be, the separation is a death of this third entity that many people relied on, respected, cared for, put a lot of love into. And when that marriage breaks, it is essentially now you are grieving the death of that third entity. And in order to go through that grief, that process, I really had to lean into my my sources, my people, my spirit, and I really had to allow myself to go through that process. And I was very lucky at the time that I had resources, teachers, students, therapists, to remind me that it's okay to go through the process of grief and that grief comes in waves. And if you've ever experienced the death of any kind, whether it's the death of a relationship or a friend or a family member, of course, that is also dramatic and traumatic, dramatic and traumatic. Mm -hmm. And it comes in waves. You know, the, the feeling of grief at first, you drown in it. And there are times where you feel like you cannot rise above the surface and you can only barely get your nose above water just to see sip in enough air just to keep you going through the day and even if that means you barely open your eyes that day and then over time 
those waves seem to start separating a little bit further. They start to become a little bit more manageable. Maybe now you might, you might even be able to anticipate when the waves are going to come. And eventually you might be able to ride the waves with a little bit more grace and a little bit more ease. And during this time of grief for me, it was bizarre. <laughs> I really can only explain it in a way that it was, I was so willing to go through this process of grief. I was so ready and I knew so deeply in my, in my gut, my inner voice told me so strongly that if I didn't go through this process right here and right now, then it would, it would come up much later in my life. And what was also beautiful about this time of divorce was that it brought up a lot of emotions for me that I had suppressed. A lot of memories that I had suppressed from my father who abandoned us when I was 12 years old. It was my brother, my mom and I, and my mom had to file bankruptcy and we were left homeless. So many, many memories from my childhood and a lot of emotions came back up now that I was experiencing this divorce. And I thought, wow, there was a lot that as a 12 year old, I didn't understand or know how to grieve. And here I am now at 29 years old and I have the tools to be able to do this. And I really leaned into my gut feelings where I kept reminding myself that it was okay to feel all the feels, right? So some days that meant, all right, I can barely get out of bed. Other days it meant I'm going to go to the gym and sweat it out to a point where I look like I just got out of a shower. Other days it was quiet, mindful walks on the beach. And other times it was getting wasted on a dance floor with my best girlfriends. And if I didn't allow that inner voice to guide me every single day and tell me what I needed in that moment, I don't know that I would have come out of it as gracefully as I feel like I did, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And at this time, you were still living in Charleston? I was. Right. Um, so fast forward a little bit, just to kind of like circle around to getting to like kind of the big pivotal moment. Um, February, so the beginning of 2015, my ex moved out of our place. We had to, of course, move out of our apartment and separate our lives. I think that was one of the most challenging part of it. And I moved in with a girlfriend and was sort of just going through the motions. It was like, okay, logistically, what needs to be done next? And come, I think, June, I was driving to the studio one day and I swear it was, it was like a lightning bolt. The loudest voice in my head and this gut feeling so, like I had to pull over. I was driving down the street and the voice said, you need to move on a boat. <laughs> and I was like, um, what? <laughs> All right. Am I going crazy? Or like, did I just hear that? Or where did that thought just come from? I don't really know. So I pulled over and I called my girlfriend who had been in yachting for many, many years. And now she was living in Charleston and teaching yoga full time at the studio that I was teaching at. And I called her and I said, Amanda, I need to move on a boat. And she was like, okay, <laughs> are you okay, first and foremost? And secondly, I've had this conversation with about 30 people and not one has followed through. And I said, well, I don't know why, but something's telling me that I need to follow through and I'll be the first one to follow through. So she came over and she gave me the logistics of how to do that. The month of August, there was like a, little, a couple weeks of logistics there in July and then the month of August, I spent the whole month subletting my apartment, 
I had to give away my cat, which was gut-wrenching, but I knew that it was the right thing. I sold all of my belongings. I gave away what people didn't want to buy. And September 1st, I moved down to Fort Lauderdale with a suitcase. And that was it. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm wondering with this experience you had with your inner voice, in some ways, it's sounding like you found your inner voice through going through your divorce. Would you say that's mm. true? Yes, I think this was a time where I had been nurturing my gut instinct. You know, divorce doesn't just come out of nowhere. You know, I think for a couple years, my intuition had started growing and I had started nurturing what that meant to me. Of course, being a yoga teacher, I was around a lot of other people that understood what the sense of intuition was and spoke about it and put mouth on it in the sense that it wasn't weird or taboo to talk about gut instincts, you know, so I was in a place for a few years where, you know, my gut was telling me for a long time that my marriage was failing. And I held on many more years than I probably should have. But I can't regret that, of course. So for a couple of years, I think I had been nurturing the thought, you know, looking at synchronicity or signs of the universe saying like, okay, well, there's another sign or oh, there's this like there's different ways I think that our inner voice speaks to us and for me it was not only an actual voice in my head but also signs from the universe I mean have you ever experienced that where like I don't know either you'll think of somebody and then a few hours later you look down and there's a text message from them or I don't know some other weird synchronistic thing like you you have an interest in something and it starts popping up in your life all the time or I don't know. Have you ever experienced secret synchronicity? Does yeah. that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So I, I, the main way that I am familiar with synchronicity is from uh, Julia Cameron's Artist's Way book. I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, I haven't. It's a, it's a book where you, it's helping you kind of get in touch with your inner creativity. And um, one thing she talks about is that throughout the course, as you're journaling more and doing these, you know, exercises that you should start experiencing more synchronicity. And mm. it's something that like, I, I think I'm just, I go back and forth. Like I definitely feel probably the clearest example of that would be just this feeling that people will come into my life for a reason, kind of when I need like that, their specific story or their mm -hmm. friendship or whatever it is. And so I think that's probably the closest thing, but I wouldn't, I haven't had the a kind of thing where I'm like, God, show me a sign. And then a sign is given. Like, I don't know. I haven't right. had that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And and for me, it was a process of many years. I mean, I think back probably around the time that I got married was when one of my girlfriends from home, Rhode Island, moved to Charleston. So this is years later. And she was very much into the concept of synchronicity. And she started introducing it to me. So the same year that I got married was the same year that I started hearing the word and understanding it and it's to a point now where things almost don't even surprise me anymore, where people are like, oh, that's a weird coincidence. And I'm like, no, nope, that's just synchronicity again. You know, like, obviously you walked into my life right now because I needed you, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so sorry, I feel like I missed him there. Like your friend introduced you to synchronicity, but where did that come from? Like, so I've only heard of it from this book, but mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is it part of like your yoga practice or like, is it, Basically, is it part of any sort of belief system that you subscribe I, to? Or I don't think so. I, 
honestly, it just, my friend Karen was the one that was like, have you heard of synchronicity? And we just started having these conversations and then we would just go off buzzing on like all these weird things that happen in life and we'd get chills all over our bodies and we'd get really excited and almost surprised about signs from the universe and we would just start almost joking about it this was back in 2010 I'm not sure where she heard of the word synchronicity but that's sort of when it started coming into my life and I think that's when I started paying attention or heeding the omens I don't know if you've ever read the book The Alchemist by no Paolo I haven't Paolo. girlfriend it's like a hundred pages it's such an easy read and it is a beautiful beautiful book but that book is all about heeding the omens and I won't give it away but long story short it's about a journey of this boy who seeks out treasure and he goes on this long journey and all the lessons along the way lead him to something I don't want to give it away and come to find out it was already all there for him. So, you know, heeding the omens, seeing the signs, paying attention to when that higher power, whether whether you attest it to just simply the energies of the of the universe or I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different beliefs out there that I'm not here to alienate anyone. But for me, I can't ignore when something is so blatantly obvious, mo like more than coincidental, more than coincidental. I don't right. even believe in coincidence anymore. It's it's for me it's it's deeper than that. It's not coincidence, it's synchronicity. And then from there it's intuition. And then from there it's inner voice. And then maybe from there for me it's something bigger than me working in my power. One of the quotes from that book is something along the lines to paraphrase and sorry Paolo if I don't do it justice. It's <laughs> when when you set your mind to something, the universe conspires to make it happen for you. So if you've ever heard of the term beginner's luck, like that's a real thing. You know, you pick up a pool stick for the first time ever and you beat the person who you're playing. That's because the universe wants to give you a taste of winning because without all the limiting beliefs that we have in our life, you can win no matter what you want to do. You can accomplish no matter what you want to do. And the universe is here to make that happen for you. There is more abundance in our lives there is creativity, there is money, there is time out there to be made and to have and to share. But we have so many limiting beliefs. We put so many, we are conditioned to believe that we don't deserve, that we are not enough, that we don't, that we need more in order to have more. When in reality, none of that's true. That's all conditioned from growing up in a society that praises doing more, producing more, creating more in the sense of like the grind. Like, oh, I've got to be working really hard in order to get what I want. No, life should feel downstream. But we're, we're, so, we're so stuck in the mindset that things are difficult and there's not enough to go around. So I need to be working harder and I need to be sweating more and I need to be more stressed and I need to be more tired because that's what the dream must look like. Because all of those other people that have all the success, that must be how they live. Because for some reason, I don't have those yet. So what am I doing wrong? Well, maybe we're just fighting our intuition. 
maybe our gut is telling us, leave your marriage, quit your job, sell all your belongings, and move on to a super yacht. (laughs) (laughs) Because that for me was downstream. And I really surrendered all the beliefs that I thought I knew about myself. I let go of everything that I considered to be my identity at the time. I, I allowed myself to not only write a new chapter, but to close the book of my life that I wrote and to completely write a new one. And I think that's also something that's extremely scary for a lot of people. You're allowed to restart literally your whole life every single day. But we're so concerned about what other people are going to think. And we're so nervous about trusting our gut. We've been told over and over and over again to not trust our inner voice. Why? Right. Because so so many people are stuck in a scarcity mindset that they shun people who succeed through trusting their inner voice. And then it's human. Yeah, it's human nature to want to be loved and accepted. Those are like the basic needs of human nature to be loved, accepted and safe. But guess what? If you trust your inner voice, you will have all of those things and so much more. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So there are two things you said there that I wanted to dig into a little bit. Um, I was curious, what are some of the limiting beliefs that you had to break through in your Mm. personal life? I love this question. And it's something that I'm still working on. But currently, a, a big thing that came up for me was money. And it it still is. And it is still something that I'm working through. And I think for a lot of people, their relationship with money is an interesting one. And most of our beliefs around money come from the system that we grew up in. And I mentioned before in total vulnerability that my father abandoned us and my mom had to file bankruptcy. She only just recently, 20 years later, was able to get like her first credit card again, because we lost everything. We We had nothing. So growing up, I always believed or understood my relationship with money was that there's not enough of it. I will never have it. The people that have a lot of it are like in a different society, in a different world than me. And if I want any of it, I have to work really, really hard to prove myself, to prove my self-worth to the people around me in order to have money. And that stress that I held on to since I was a young child manifested in as psoriasis in my body. I now have massive anxiety and psoriasis that I holistically manage every single day because those beliefs I'm still working through. And my relationship to money and that limiting belief, I mean, I'm just breaking those barriers every day. And right now, I'm, I mean, I'm taking the whole winter off and I just keep coming back to a sense of trust and a sense of understanding that. I've never been hungry. I've never been on the streets, thank God. We were almost, but again, synchronicity brought a little angel into our life and we were able to live in an apartment. And I'm savvy and I am a hard worker. So I have proof in my life that as long as I continue to follow my gut, abundance will come. So that I think is like the number one, the the biggest limiting belief that I needed to have. needed to break through and I'm Mm -hmm. still working on. I think another one was that I needed more. I I needed a handsome husband. I needed a job with a fancy business card. I needed lots of friends to prove my own self-worth. 
So that is something that I really have been letting go of a lot over the last few years. And of course, starting with letting go of the husband and then letting go of the job. And now I really have a a deep sense of understanding that I don't need more to feel worthy. In fact, when now that I'm a, a digital nomad, I travel, I, the more I have, the heavier my burden is. So it's like this constant practice of letting go and letting go in order to live minimally and feel light and free to do that. And the more I do that and the more I let go of energy vampires in my life and the more I let go of the belief that my source of self-worth comes from something else, whether it's my fancy purse or my fancy car or the people that I hang out with, the more I let that go, the lighter I feel and the more confident I feel within myself. Right. Yeah. That's, um, I'm curious what job you had before. Cause you, I was going to ask you, when did you start teaching yoga and what were you doing before that? What did you study mm-hmm. in college? Like, was that part of the change was the total career change too? Sort of. So I guess I said it a little bit backwards because first I let go of the job. So I had a degree in psychology and business, and then I went into sales I really wanted to do pharmaceutical sales, and for some reason that just never really happened, I think because my gut told me very deeply that it wasn't going to align with my core values and beliefs, and selling pharmaceuticals is now like the opposite. I'm I'm a holistic health coach now, so it's like the complete opposite (laughs) of what, what my intuition was leading me to, and I was doing other sales jobs. So I was working for myself, I was selling custom clothes, and then I was working for another company. Of course, I graduated college in 2008, which was like the biggest modern economy crash that the United States has seen. So here I am, fresh out of college, a whole bunch of student loan debt, and there's no jobs available. So I hopped around a little bit. Uh, My first sales job was a boutique sunscreen company, and we sold to Uh, cancer centers and dermatologists and children's centers, we were really trying to kind of pave a new path for sunscreen and just looking at the rise of skin cancer. And there was a doctor that formulated it and I got laid off from that job. So it was, it was a few years where I really felt like I was grasping, you know, and I really felt like, oh, I really need to fight really hard for this big corporate job and all this big money that I want, that I really like thought that I needed in my life. And It was in 2013, so three years into my marriage, when I finally said, forget this, I'm so unhappy, my job sucks, you know, at this point was sort of the beginning to the end of my relationship, or looking back, that's kind of how I realized what happened as well, and I quit my job, I also, soon after that, quit my bartending job, because throughout this whole time, I've always worked two jobs, of course, (laughs) and... I finally let go of my food and beverage job, which I had held on to for almost 11 years. And I went to Costa Rica for a month and I became a yoga teacher in 2013. So that was sort of the beginning to following my my gut. And it kind of makes sense now looking back. I mean, as a psychology, with a psychology degree, I never wanted to go to more school. I knew I knew that being a traditional therapist or a talk therapist wasn't the path for me. But here I am now, many, many years later, 10 years later, and I'm finally finding my way back into how can I 
how can I nurture people? How can I support people? How can I use my psychology degree? But also in a way that incorporates more of a holistic manner because the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. So whether it's our weight, our relationships, our finance and career, or you know our spirituality, everything ties in together. So what I'm doing now, reflecting back, had I listened to my inner voice sooner, maybe it could have saved me a few years of painfully staking, staking out these corporate jobs. <laughs> right. But, you know, I had to go through that in order to go through it, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you met your ex-husband and like how that came mm-hmm. to be that you got married, if it and did that feel at that time like your inner voice was saying that that was the right choice for you at the time? Mm, that's a beautiful question. So as I mentioned, I was a bartender and he strolled into my bar. <laughs> and I can confidently say to this day, he was the only person that I gave my phone number to over the bar while I was working. And he was charming and handsome and took me out on a date and he also happened to be Turkish. So he was from another country and we were both a year out of college at this point. And yeah, I think it was maybe like maybe two or three months in and he looked at me and he said, well, I'm going to have to leave the country soon because my visa's up. And I said, well, that's a bummer. Well, why don't I come with you? (laughs) And he (laughs) said, yeah, he said, we can do that or we can get married and start a life together here. And I kind of like, I was like, oh, huh, well, that's different. (laughs) And I think seeing my parents' relationship fail as massively as it did and as traumatically as it did, I never really thought I would, I guess I knew that someday I would get married, but I, I always sort of knew in my gut that it would be untraditional. And I, I think at this time when he came to me and he said, you know, I'd like to start a life with you and we have a better chance of success and health and happiness here in the United States. And would you marry me? I sort of was just like, well, okay. (laughs) Reflecting back though, there were definitely, there was definitely one or two times where I looked at him with tears in my eyes and I said, I'm not ready for this. And he looked at me and he said, everything's going to be okay. And I so desperately needed at the time a positive male figure in my life that I could trust. And that definitely reflects many of the abandonment issues that I had as a child that I sort of just said, well, pardon my cuss here, but fuck it. (laughs) You know, like I just really, I thought I love this man. And at the time we genuinely did love and care for each other the whole time we were together. Even after, I, I would say there still is an element of respect and and love there in the sense that like it was a pretty cordial separation and I think it was done very logically. I think we both realized that we weren't we weren't happy for a long time and we we got married quick and young and yeah. Also, there were definite moments where my gut was like, nope, this isn't quite right. You know, you deserve to have the wedding that you want or you deserve to have whatever it is that you may need. But I was never really like the girly girl that like 
looked at my wedding and planned it for my whole life. Like I've never been like that. I've never thought about it like that. So for me, I kind of was like, well, this makes a lot of sense <laughs> why I've never really envisioned my wedding. Cause we didn't really have one. We just got married. We did the legal thing and that was it. Reflecting back now, I'm really grateful for that because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm in a different time in a different place and it would have been a bit unfortunate to drop a whole lot of money on a big wedding, but <laughs> I think maybe, right. my gut, maybe my gut was telling me even back then, like, don't bother doing that because this is just temporary. <laughs> right. So you don't, it sounds to me like you don't necessarily hold much regret about the marriage. It's just at a certain point, it was no longer what you needed. Absolutely. It really just got to a point where neither of us were thriving. Neither of us were excited about our daily lives and where we were going. And for me, I really, again, I have to heed the omens. I have to follow the signs. My skin was broken out worse than it's been in many, many years. And I mean, that's, that's one positive that I really look at when it comes to psoriasis. If anybody manages psoriasis that might be listening to this. I, I hear you. I feel you. I understand you. And it's tough. But the silver lining to it is there is something in you that's trying to send you a message. There is something that's out of balance and there's something inside that is being unheard. And your body is screaming to be heard. That inner voice is begging you to listen because you know, you know what it is that is causing imbalances in your body. And other people may suffer in other ways, whether it's depression, other, other mental, I hate to say problems or disorders because that's not the case. It's just things that we deal, deal with every single day that we brush under the rug as normal. Maybe it's digestive problems. Maybe you don't sleep at night. Maybe you get chronic headaches. Maybe you're just kind of feeling meh every day. What, you, know, you know what lights you up and you know what's bringing you down. It's just a matter of allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to trust your gut, trust your inner voice. And as soon as you start doing that, as soon as you start letting go all of those beliefs that you think you need to hold on to and all of those other people's opinions that you think is so important, you'll start to feel a little bit more downstream. <laughs> and right. for, for me at that time, it was just, Neither of us were not, when we woke up in the morning, we didn't feel excited. And that for me, I mean, especially experiencing death and separation very, very young, life is way too short to not feel excited when you wake up in the morning. It's too short. Could you tell me a little bit about when your inner voice started kicking in? This is a couple years before you got your divorce. What was that experience like? Mm, I think right before I became a yoga teacher. So it's it's interesting how, I, I know I kind of mentioned the way we do one thing is the way that we do everything or the way that we relate to the world around us is is all very similar, right? So the way that I was looking at my life at the time, I knew my, my, my inner voice was telling me that something wasn't right and I couldn't quite pinpoint what it was. So that's when I quit my job and I went to Costa Rica and became a yoga teacher. That was in 2013. So I thought, right, I've solved the problem. <laughs> like I've got the answer. This is all I needed. I needed to quit chasing the corporate job and the business card and the money and the salary and the health insurance. And I just needed to fulfill my career dreams. 
So I started doing that. And for a little while, it was exciting. And I was riding that wave, that high of, yes, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm completely changing my life. I'm, I'm now working for myself in a way that is totally fresh and new. And then a little while later, I don't know, maybe almost a year later, it started coming up again. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> I thought I solved this problem that I, that I couldn't put my thumb on. You know, I thought that like, I really, I know I'm closer. Like I know I'm closer to like living my fullest potential, but there's still something every single day that's not quite right. And that was, you know, that towards 2014 and then 2014 was, was pretty tough. It reflecting back, um, my ex had been in, in a massive car accident, putting him in some major medical debt. He had made some really poor decisions with his cars, his vehicles. So he was now keep in mind, I'm still working through this like relationship to money. Right. So I had finally just said, right, I'm going to let go of my well-paying job and I'm going to go out on a limb here to like fulfill my heart's desires. But now I'm teaching yoga. I mean, if anyone else is a yoga teacher, like spiritually and emotionally, it can be quite fulfilling. But as far as the bank goes, <laughs> you really need to work a lot in order for your bank to look somewhat comfortable, never mind abundant. So here we are where I'm exploring what it, what my relationship with money is and letting go of a lot of like childhood habits and beliefs. And here he is now driving us into some massive debt and it was driving me insane <laughs> it truly I mean he finally just finished paying off a credit card debt now don't get me wrong like he is is an amazing human being but there were just certain life lessons that I experienced very young that he needed to work through a little bit later in life and it just wasn't lining up with where I was now in life it was like I had evolved spiritually or emotionally or was allowing myself to do that and he was going through his own life lessons and it was creating really big tension between us really big tension and on top of that he had played sports in college so he never really experienced what it meant to party in college <laughs> so now here we are out of college he no longer is having to show face for a college or you know his tuition no longer rided on his his ability to play sports and, and stay sober through that. So, you know, our lifestyles were very drastically different. He was working in a restaurant and very much enjoying it. And I did that all through my college years. So here I am now at this place where I'm like shifting my life to wanting to go to bed early, looking towards being sober in the sense of just letting go of alcohol as entertainment and teaching yoga full-time. It was like a very, very different scene than managing a restaurant full-time. So there was a few things in our life that were really going separate ways. So 2014 was really, really tough. At the very beginning of 2015, I looked at my best friend and I said, something's got to give. Like, I'm really, I'm struggling. I'm crying. We're fighting. I'm, I'm looking at our debt and I'm, I'm, it's digging a hole in my gut. And she says, well, let's go on vacation. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> That's probably the last thing I need to do right now. <laughs> so we looked online and we found a really cheap ticket to Costa Rica. And I thought, you know what? Costa Rica was kind of like the beginning of like my soul feeling happy the first time around. 
So let's do that again. So February 2015, we went to Costa Rica, me and my best girlfriend again for two weeks. And I went into the situation thinking, right, I'm going to use these next two weeks and I'm going to come out of it knowing that either I'm going to stay in my relationship or I'm going to leave it. And the ironic part was that I came back ready to stay in my marriage. I came back feeling a little bit revitalized and feeling like, okay, I'm ready to dig in, you know, like I'm ready to do the work. And he wasn't. And those two weeks that we spent apart in February 2015 was such a massive blessing for both of us because I needed him to be the one, as much as he was the one that said to me, you can trust me, you know, you can lean on me, we're going to get married and it's going to be okay. I also needed him to say this is over because I, I would have never had the courage, I don't think, to do that. So when I came back in February 2015 from that trip, he uh, he ended it, and that was it. Wow. And so mm-hmm. after that, you said you guys kept things pretty amicable throughout the breakup. Mm-hmm. What what was your reaction to him ending it? Was it were you relieved? Were you heartbroken? Like how, yeah. How did that feel? I mean, the initial blow of hearing the words come out of his mouth of his mouth were devastating. I mean, I I cried, of course. And in that same moment, I absolutely felt relief. When I reflect back, it was like, have you ever seen the kids movie? It's about your inner emotions. And I can't think of the name of it right now. It's Disney's Pixar movie. And Mm. it's all it's all about this little girl going through puberty. And she has this whole world inside of her and all of her emotions are being controlled by different men, men and women. And at the end of the movie, she has finally a memory with mixed emotions. And it was the first time that she had experienced mixed emotions. And it's a really great movie, and I can't think of the name of it right now. But if you ever have an opportunity and just want to watch a really easy watching Disney Pixar, it's really great. It'll come to me in a minute. But having that mixed emotion in that moment was, it was, gosh, I can almost feel it in my gut right now. Like I feel my, my palms sweating, you know, it was, it was this deep, deep, deep sense of grief, but also an even deeper sense of relief. Now the months that followed, again, it's those waves of grief. So when you lose somebody, well, I don't know. I don't know. When I, when I've lost people in my life, there's definitely no sense of relief for me, but Maybe someone who might feel something like that would experience it with someone who might have had a long-term terminal illness and their loved one was in pain for a long time, right? So maybe it's this element of, okay, this really, really, really sucks, but now I am giving myself permission to feel free and to move forward with my life without the relationship keeping me in, in these tight chains, this bond that I felt like I needed for so long. So yeah, I think I went into logistics mode right away. (laughs) You know, you kind of, okay, I have to get through every day and now we have to do this and now we have to go to the bank and now we have to figure things out logistically. But emotionally, again, it circles back around to, I really just allowed myself to ride those waves of grief. And I knew, thank God, because of prior experiences in my life, that I really needed to go through that process immediately. Like there was no delaying it. So there was no like putting on a front and pretending like everything was okay. It was like every single day is going to be different and I'm going to allow myself to do that. 
And I'm going to go as deep as I need to go into this grief so that way I can then maybe crawl out the other side <laughs> someday. And I didn't know how long that was going to take, but but I knew that from, again, my life experiences that it would, the day would come where I could maybe breathe again, even a little bit, you know, and then the day would come where I would feel happy again, eventually. I, I didn't know when, but I knew that I would. So I allowed my inner voice to guide me through those months. And then boom, <laughs> come June, I need to move on a boat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you, you mentioned it sounds like it was part of the experience too was processing uh, some of your childhood experiences. Do you also have a sense now that that was something that like you, you feel was important for you to have the opportunity to do at that time? Absolutely. And it's still something that every time I think that I'm sort of on the other side of it, then something else happens. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's still more work that needs to be done there. And I think I only, only just this year, I'm 32 years old now, have I really allowed myself to say, it's okay. <laughs> you're doing the work and there will still be more work to be done. And you're going to be frustrated and you're going to feel guilty and that's okay too. So I think by like putting mouth on that and saying the words out loud and really feeling it in my heart and allowing emotions to come up and seeking help, really surrounding myself. I finally just went and saw a talk therapist for the first time. I mean, look at me. I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I have a degree in psychology. I became a health coach and I talk the talk of going to see therapists all day, every day but I had never done it for myself. However, I had other therapists and other coaches and teachers in my life that played that role for me. But I finally just went to see one and she was the first one that looked at me and she said, Chelsea, you lived in an abusive environment, period. And I thought, oh, wow. Because I always thought, well, I didn't have bruises on my body. My mom might have, but I didn't. And, you know, broken TVs and smashed chairs and loud screaming, like, yeah, that's pretty dramatic, but a lot of other people have it a lot worse. So I don't need to like shed light on my pain because who am I to complain when there's other people who have it a whole lot worse? And I think, I think my relationship to my own pain was really important. And I think it's really valid and important part of my message and putting it out there to my clients and my students is that your pain is valid no matter what degree or level it is. So don't feel ashamed if you are feeling pain compared to somebody else's because you can't even do that. Then we just go down this compare and despair cycle yeah. of, you know, like, well, I'm not allowed to feel this way because other people have it a lot worse. Yes, other people are experiencing different things in this life and this was traumatic for you and that's okay. So let's work through that. So as soon as you can allow to allow yourself, at least for me, as soon as I allowed myself to let go of the shame that I felt and the guilt that I felt around feeling sad about my childhood experiences was when I started to heal from them. And when I allowed myself to just put words on the fact that, yeah, I lived in a really abusive environment and we were homeless and that sucked. <laughs> and when I gave myself permission to explore those feelings, that's when I allowed myself to begin healing. So my divorce, I think 
was a catalyst to allowing myself to dig up a lot of those suppressed emotions from childhood. And I happened to be in a place of love and support all around me during my divorce that really encouraged going through that experience. So I was very blessed for that, for sure. Yeah. And so you said that you're, were you 12 when your dad left? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was 12 and my younger brother was 10. Has part of the process at all been like, you know, reaching out to him or have you, you know, yes. kept a relationship with him <laughs> in any way or have you not? Yeah. For the last, it's been 20 years now, which is just, wow, that is just wild to think at the blink of an eye, 20 years have, has gone by since that day. And we have tried to reconcile over the years a few times. And what I've come to realize through reestablishing a relationship to the divine, the divine and going to mentors that have a spiritual background has really been the source of my understanding forgiveness. Because I've always, people have always said to me in the past, like, oh, you need to forgive him. You don't need to you don't need to hang on to all that anger. That's probably why your skin is flaring up, right? You're still angry at him. And I'm like, well, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Of course I'm angry and upset because those years, those first 10 years after he left were, were wretched. I mean, my mom went through many of her own personal struggles and turned to alcohol many, many times for that. And I sort of became a caregiver a bit and rebellious and I mean, I, I, res- I had so much resentment. So over the last few years, what I've come to realize is that I'm allowed to forgive him so that way I can free myself from my own anger and my own resentment. And I don't have to reconcile with him because unfortunately he is a sick person, I believe. And bless him if he ever hears this. And dad, I love you, but... We have tried over the years to reconcile, and I think anger carries him through a lot of his life. I think he carries a lot of guilt that I'm not sure he has worked through. Every time we try to talk about it, it turns into a really ugly, ugly fight, usually with him screaming and yelling and saying some really nasty words and me hanging up and blocking him again. Because that's just what I've had to do. I mean, when I was younger, it used to be me lashing back, and that just fed more anger. So over the years, it just turned into, thank God for technology, I I can just block him. But of course, it, it leaves a really deep hole in my heart. And when I think about it, it it breaks my heart to think that maybe we won't, I won't reconcile with my father in this lifetime. That's that's horrible. And I I hope to have that opportunity someday. And for right now, I can I can just practice forgiveness because I can't carry the burden of anger and resentment anymore. And for my own sanity, I can't try to reconcile anymore that he might be willing to. And I I don't know I don't know his side. I don't know his journey right now. But maybe someday the opportunity will come and it will be peaceful. <laughs> But as of right now, over the years, that hasn't proven to be true. So, yeah, it's just an active, active practice of forgiveness without attachment to reconciliation. And they're two very different things. And that's what I've learned over the last couple of years, which has led to a lot of clarity and a lot of peace within me. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've done all you can from your side and that 
you know, the outcome is out of your hands in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned in the beginning of the interview, and I wanted to ask about this, the Irish Catholic upbringing. And it sounds like mm-hmm. you're, you were saying that you think that's played a role in your family dynamic, the Irish Catholic mm-hmm. influence, and also just maybe in cer- certain limiting beliefs. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I don't know if I could put a thumb on anything in particular. I think for me, the church has been an amazing source of stability and support for my mother. They paid, our church paid for my private Catholic education. Uh, My mom is on their payroll, you know, so it has provided really a source of stability, financial stability and emotional stability, I believe, for my mother and for our family young. And in that same element, I never was able to connect with Catholicism on a spiritual level. I think for me, there's a little bit of, and maybe part of it is because I had a really turmoiled relationship with my father. So of course, in Catholicism, men hold the power in that religion. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but for me and my experience, I was turned off by that. (laughs) I didn't want to go seek a man's help. I didn't want to go confess my sins to a man that I didn't know. I didn't trust older men when I was younger. Why would I? I didn't have any reason to. And I think my my relationship coming back to a formal sense of religion. I'm very grateful for my partner now who is a Christian and he has allowed me to re-explore what it means to be a Christian in a little bit more of an open dynamic. And I have found some female leaders in some non-denominational churches that have brought me back to a little bit more of a structured relationship with my, my definition of spirituality. But I I think for me and my upbringing and my experience, again, I'm not trying to alienate anyone and I'm not saying that anything is right or wrong. Just for me and my personal experience, the Irish Catholic upbringing meant that you didn't talk about your problems. You went and confessed your sins in privacy. It was taboo to go speak to a therapist and you you drank everything under the rug. So it was party hard and show up to church on Sunday and you'll be okay as long as you do that. And unfortunately, looking at the lineage of my Irish Catholic family, not many people live past 70 years old and most of them didn't live very fulfilled, happy lives. So I wanted something different. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just have a few more questions. I, I definitely want to hear about your current relationship that you mm. mentioned before, but just to, there are a couple hanging out. Um, and one of them was just, I have this question about like your confidence in your inner voice. You said that you, you don't know that you would have been able to cut things off with your ex, if, mm. you know, completely on your own. I was curious if you imagine if you had done that, do you think at all the things you had to ride afterwards that you may have ended up feeling regret or doubt in your decision or do you think you would have ultimately still felt like it was right like you do now it's interesting because as I said those words out loud I also on the other hand I'm like 
hell yes, I could have done that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just, I think I'm not sure because I, I didn't want to explore that. You know, I didn't want the responsibility of that. And I knew that deeply in my gut at the time. And I knew that if he put words on it for me, then I could let go of that responsibility. So I wouldn't even have to explore the feeling of shame and guilt because I knew in my gut for a long time that this wasn't quite right and that this was going down a path of separation. However, I didn't want to break his heart and I didn't want that responsibility on me. And I knew that my heart was resilient and strong. So I think by giving myself permission to just say, listen, you've got this, you're strong and you don't need to like prove, you don't need to be a superhero here. Like you can allow him to take some responsibility and you, I mean, cause that's the other part of it too. I think reflecting back, you know, my father didn't really take much responsibility for anything to this day. He's never apologized, which is something that I've also had to let go of <laughs> needing that apology. So by giving myself permission to make sure that he was responsible for this next evolution of our relationship, it gave me a little bit of closure especially because I also was like the responsible one <laughs> in the relationship. So I think by letting him make that big decision gave me permission to not have to feel guilty or like I hurt him because I didn't want, I didn't want that. Ultimately, neither of us wanted to hurt each other, right. but I needed, I, I needed to allow him to make that decision in that time. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier also just that people tell you right and left to not trust your intuition. I was curious what you meant by that. Like what um, are some of the cultural messages we get? And do you mean that as just people in general or women specifically? Hmm. That's a really good one to reflect on. I think, I think I look at it more as on the bigger picture, right? So especially in America, now I'm, I'm blessed to have worked in the last few years internationally and culturally I've worked with people from all over the world. So this, this may be different for different cultures, but in America, we grow up thinking that we need to live the American dream, quote unquote. And when I say the American dream, I guarantee you thought, yeah, go to school, go to college, get married, have two and a half kids and the white pick and fence. Work nine to five, have your weekends off and make about a hundred grand so that way you can pay your bills and live comfortably. At least that's what I picture when I, when I hear like the quote unquote American dream. That's like the standard, what I grew up believing was the American dream. Of course, it might be different for a lot of other people. This was coming from like lower middle class, right? So a hundred grand was like the dream, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so you're saying if you wanted anything outside of that, that was kind of like, kind of like, don't mess up your life. What are you thinking a little bit? Exactly. Like, who do you think you are going against the norm? You know, culturally, you know, and also when we look back generationally, our grandparents came out of great depressions. So they come from a scarcity mindset for very good reasons. You know, they came from literally nothing. So generationally, that's been passed down and passed down. Now here we are in this new generation, this new sense of, well, maybe I can rewrite that story. And I think I feel grateful in the sense that there's a lot of people now who are pushing for that. I, I do see, especially in my industry of wellness and atypical lifestyles, there's a lot of digital nomads, there's a lot of people traveling the world, doing things differently. But that's very new, even in the last 10 years since I graduated college. I mean, 
it was it wasn't until 2000 it was only 3 years ago since I finally allowed myself to do something very different. So, you know, this is all still very new for me and I'm I'm only now opening my eyes to or I've experienced other people who are kind of pushing for this new wave of no, you can trust what your gut is telling you. We can live differently than how the last 5 generations have been telling us we have to live. Now listen, all of that comes from good intention, right? Our grandparents and great-grandparents passed on down to our parents and our counselors and our teachers and our coaches to us who said, listen, this is what you need to do to be successful because they loved us. So with good intentions, now we have have understood that good intention, but now we've created limiting beliefs that, hmm, you can't trust your gut that says that, I want to move to New York and be a dancer because you're going to that you're you're going to fail right or I want to live off the grid and and be an author an artist of any kind or I want to be a digital nomad and be I mean it is tough to be what I like to call location independent like America doesn't make it easy <laughs> I don't have an address I don't have a residence I don't live anywhere and Everywhere I come up to, I mean, every year tax season comes up and I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> Who do I pay? Like, I know I that must be I, overwhelming. It's, yeah, it's I mean, I pay someone else to do it for me, honestly, now, because I'm like, I don't want to get in trouble. And it's worth, you know, the few hundred bucks for me to have someone else deal with this for me. But yeah, that's also something that I had to learn. Like, listen, you can you can give your money like what's more valuable, time or money? And sometimes I have more time than money and other times I have more money than time and it's, it fluctuates depending on if I'm if I'm working or not. So yeah. di- divvying out that time versus money is is sort of a something I need to reevaluate all the time. But so what yeah. has this kind of new chapter of your life looked like in terms of did you so you moved onto this yacht and became a yoga teacher or location independent? Would you say that like it became easier to trust your inner voice now in these past years, or is it still kind of like a new challenge every day? You know, mm. is it rosy or is it still, you know, <laughs> is life still hard sometimes? <laughs> I mean, it is definitely easier and I still wake up every single day as the same person, <laughs> you know, like there, there are 32 years behind me of all of this life experience. So I think the more I talk about it, the more I see, seek help, the more I reached out to the people that really care about my well-being and that hold me to my true self, I think this is what has led me down a path of coaching because it's much easier for somebody else to hold you to your best self than it is for you to hold yourself to your best self. Right. Like it's easy for me to look in the mirror and just tear myself apart in every single way, shape, and form. And I, And there are days where I look at myself and I think, what? the hell am I doing? <laughs> like I, I, and then I start quote unquote, like shooting all over myself, right? I should be working out more. I should be doing more marketing. I should be getting more clients, blah, 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 blah. So yes. And yes, yes, it is much easier to trust my intuition because I have set myself up to do that. And I think the more one knows about themselves, the more that person can allow themselves to live a downstream lifestyle. So self-reflection, self-knowledge, self-awareness is something that I have been very into for a very long time. So, you know, even looking forward and say, okay, 
For example, right now, I'm not working. My partner and I have decided to take the winter off. And we worked for the year on two different boats to financially set ourselves up to do that because I know <laughs> that I'm working through limiting beliefs around money. So in order to feel comfortable this time right now and be able to energetically build my business and share my story without necessarily energy in the form of money come come back to me, I know I'm okay because I set myself up for that. So yeah, I mean, the last three years has been wild. You know, I joined yachting. So here I am, 29 years old, post-divorce. I've lived life up until this point, And I let go of all those things and I join a yacht. Now, moving onto a yacht is like, imagine moving into a fraternity house with a bunch of people from all over the world that you've never met. And you work 14 hours a day. And you're forced to hang out. You're forced to work together. You're forced to live together. I mean, this was self-reflection to a whole new level. This brought my like you're overstressed, you're overtired, you're overworked, and you're making a lot of money and you're seeing the world via like luxury super yacht. So it's like this really weird dualistic like, okay, someone's getting under my nerves right now. What is it about me that I need to look at in order for that person to not get under my nerves? You know, so it became sort of like a moving meditation or what I say like yoga off the mat, right? Because yoga is essentially a practice of stimulating yourself and then practicing not reacting to that, or at least creating a little bit more space between stimulation and reaction. And then the greater that space in between, the more time you have between when you are stimulated in any shape or form and when and how you react, the more you can react mindfully as opposed to just reacting out of emotion or habits from the past. So it's a lot of this like breaking down of what I thought I knew to be true, habits that no longer serve me, you know, some not very pretty tendencies of bitterness and reaction to anger, and really allowing myself to just say, okay, laying it all out on the line. And by doing all that, I found the love of my life and my now partner, and we are on Friday flying down to, to Panama to hang out for two months before we get back to the grind. <laughs> Amazing. Tell me about your love story. <laughs> Yay. So again, I mean, looking back, so here I am now, I'm, I divorced my Turkish husband and the first boat that I get on when I decided to get into yachting was, an, the name of the boat was a Turkish word that meant fate or destiny. So it's like that for me was, I mean, it, if you don't know what synchronicity is, like that is synchronicity, right? Like there are hundreds of thousands of luxury yachts out there in all ways and shapes and forms. And the first boat that I get a permanent job on is a Turkish word that means destiny. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. After I just divorced my Turkish husband, like, hello. And this is, I, I met my partner on that boat. <laughs> Did you guys meet right, right away? And was he also a yoga teacher? Oh, that's so funny. So yes, we met right away. No, he was not a yoga teacher. So when you work on board, most people have dual jobs. So my primary job was stewardess and his was deckhand. hand. And my secondary role was yoga teacher. So we also had a hairdresser on board, a beautician, a masseuse. And uh, I was a yoga teacher and he was working on deck. He was on the outside of the boat. So it was a really big boat. It was 312 feet. So there were two very different departments. There was the exterior and the interior. And I remember thinking, and it's so funny how it's kind of come back up now three years later in our relationship and, you know, certain times where we're like going, you know, we, this year we kind of started really digging deep and, you know, we're sort of like, all right, we're either going to make the next move or what. And we kind of went through some 
personal bumps in the road in our relationship. But looking back now, I remember saying to him, like, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm single for the first time. I just joined a super yacht, first time in a long time. I just joined a super yacht. We're traveling the world. Like, I just want to be free as a bird. And he is just so relentless in our love. And, and I could not ignore the message from the divine that was like, listen, girlfriend, <laughs> you've been through a lot in your life. And I just put you in the right place at the right time, so much so to the point where the name of this boat is the definition of what you're doing right now. Like, listen to what I'm saying. Like, heed the omens, right? As Paolo says, like, this is no mistake. There are no mistakes. So pay attention here. And yeah, our, our love story has been awesome. And he's a bit traditional in the sense that, you know, he took me out one night and asked me to be his girlfriend, which was really cute. And that was just over three years ago, November 15th, actually. And, and we've, we've had, you know, our own personal growth and most of it is his relentless love and his own spiritual beliefs in how he has been able to forgive some mistakes that I have made and he has held me to my true self because he sees what I've experienced in my life and he has the wisdom to understand that if there's something that we've been through, it might not necessarily be because of our relationship, but it's because of something that I still needed to work through as far as trust issues or abandonment issues or self-sabotaging habits and practices. And it's been, I've been very, very lucky and very blessed. And had I never listened to my inner voice that one day that told me you need to move on a boat. <laughs> and that one day where my inner voice told me this marriage is no, lo no longer working. And when my inner voice told me even before that, that my job wasn't working. I mean, everything up until this point has led me to where I'm at, becoming a yoga teacher, getting divorced, selling all of my belongings, moving on to a yacht. And now here we are. <laughs> Right. Wow. You have an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. Of course. Thank you for being my witness to it. <laughs> I wanted to take a quick moment to give you, my community of listeners, some genuine appreciation. I know how valuable and precious our time is in today's world of productivity, and I couldn't be more grateful for yours today. If you feel that this episode was of value to you, I would be even more grateful if you were to share it with your people. Go ahead and copy and paste that link into messages. Smartphones make it super easy these days. Or if you're feeling really creative, pop a screenshot of the episode into your Instagram stories and send it on over to that person in your life who might need this boost of inspiration today. Don't forget to tag the podcast handle Let's Start Health and my personal account, The Yogi Yachty, so we can have all the fun connecting, building community, and sharing all the things. Thank you again, and remember, be curious and unwavering on this journey to health.